This will be the 10th pitch of the at-bat. On three and two, Canna takes low ball four. Back-to-back 10-pitch walks issued by Moray Home. And the Mets have the bases loaded with nobody out. After a 10-pitch walk, you'd love to be able to go out there, just give them a little bit of an extra breather, but you can't burn your last mound visit on that. No, that's playing a big factor. Bases loaded, nobody out for McNeil. 0 for 3, but he had the highest batting average in baseball this season. Hit 326. Switch hitter Escobar on deck. Pierce Johnson presumably ready in the bullpen. Padres will try and, at minimum, cut down Lindor at home plate on a ground ball. Here's the 2-0 to McNeil. Morejon kicks in. Deals. I'm Matt Scraby, and this is 12 Games in October. The bright lights shine the brightest in New York City, and the New York Mets had all of the lights shining right in their direction. They were on the brink of elimination and would have to win Game 2 to keep their season alive, all while trying to avoid embarrassment of getting swept with the second-highest payroll in baseball. The man tasked with trying to stave off the wrong side of history was arguably the best Mets starter, the flame-throwing Jacob deGrom. DeGrom had been on the injured list for most of the season, but he was going through one of the toughest stretches in his career. And when I say tough, I am talking about the elite standards he set. Leading up to his start, he gave up three or more runs in four straight starts. That tied him for the second most games in his career, giving up three or more runs in consecutive starts. DeGrom just didn't usually give up a lot of runs, and if he did, he would be lights out in his next start. This was a scary Jacob DeGrom. But this wasn't the Thanos Jacob deGrom we saw a few years ago where he would snap his fingers and strike out everyone in his path. There was an opening for the Padres, and although slim, there was some air coming through that crack in the door. Now, who drew the tall task of taking down Jacob deGrom? Snellzilla. When A.J. Preller made the big trade for Blake Snell in December of 2020, the Padres were acquiring a guy coming off of one of his best performances, if not the best performance of his career. Game 6 of the 2020 World Series against the Dodgers. In that game, the Rays were facing elimination and leading the Dodgers 1-0 in the sixth inning. Snellzilla, as he is known, struck out nine through four innings and allowed just two hits over five and a third innings, while throwing only 73 pitches. He went on to pitch eight strong innings, and the Rays extended the series to Game 7. Is what many thought the headlines would be watching at that moment. Instead, the history books will show Rays manager Kevin Cash removed Snell from the game after Snell gave up a one-out single to Austin Barnes. The single, combined with the top of the Dodgers lineup coming up for the third time, led to that decision to remove Snell from the game. Snell would handle everything very well in postgame, but many thought this would be the end of his career with the Rays. And to those who thought Snell was done with the Rays, were proven right, because A.J. Preller would make that a reality. Snellzilla was no stranger to big games. He invites the big game. He wants to take the big game head on. Game 2 of the 2022 wildcard series against the Mets was most definitely a big game. Especially because opposing the lefty would be the fireball-throwing Jacob deGrom. Closing out a series in the playoffs is not meant to be easy. 
This was the Mets' last chance, and they were going to use everything they had to stay alive. Good thing for the Padres, Snell was in tip-top shape. He was pitching the best he had all season long. Post-All-Star break, he posted a 2.19 ERA in 14 games started. He ranked second on the team in innings pitched and led the team in strikeouts with 105. Now the one-two pitch, and a swing and a miss. Got him with a fastball up at 98 miles an hour. And Blake Snell ties his career high with 13 strikeouts. Seven shutout innings from Snell. The only Padres pitcher to have more than 100 strikeouts post-All-Star break. He was the guy you wanted to take the ball in Game 2, knowing you have San Diego's own Joe Musgrove in Game 3 when everything was on the line. Here's Blake Snell before Game 2 talking about why he likes to pitch in big games. I don't really know, honestly. I just like big moments. I like big games. I like pitching. Uh, When there's a good crowd, good atmosphere, I think, you know, you just show up for it. I don't think there's like a a reason outside of I just like it and I prefer and I I just believe it could bring like I could see how good I really am in those moments. And I think that excites me. How exciting is it for you to know that you're pitching some of your best baseball here down the stretch as you predicted heading into postseason? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm happy I'm doing good. Uh, I'm happy that I'm learning a lot and. I'm happy we're in, you know, this position to be in the postseason. It's it's really just amazing to play in the postseason. So for us to be able to, you know, have opportunity to win a World Series, uh, it's a great feeling. The first wall crumbled with Max Scherzer in game one, and now to protect the kingdom, wall two loomed almost larger than wall number one. Jacob deGrom started the year late due to injury, but he was still throwing fireballs like he did before. If you look at any of his stats, he is in the 99th percentile of everything. He averaged 98.9 miles per hour on his fastball in 22, which was eighth best in baseball, but his slider is where he made hitters look bad. That slider averaged 92.6 miles per hour, which was the best in baseball, and the slider got a swing and a miss over half the time he threw it. His slider was a deadly pitch hitters can't really do much with. Much like in Game 1, Padres hitters needed to jump on DeGrom early and get to the bullpen. That was the game plan for most teams, but most teams are unable to execute the game plan. Again, elimination games are meant to be difficult. This was as tough as a closeout game can get for a team. Electricity once again filled the New York City air for Game 2 and somehow more fans were able to get into City Field. 42,156 fans showed up for the matchup, which was in prime time across the United States. With fans on their feet, Jacob deGrom wasn't messing around to start the game. And to kick it all off and start with the proceedings of Game 2, the voice of the Padres, Jesse Agler. Jerkson Profar will lead off. Switch hitter batting left-handed and Jacob deGrom making his first career start at home in the postseason. Delivers a 100-mile-an-hour fastball for a strike, and away we go. Nothing in one on Profar. He would go on to retire the first three Padres hitters, striking out Juan Soto and Manny Machado with nothing but pure power. DeGrom needed only 12 pitches to get through the top of the first. Ten of those 12 pitches were fastballs, and seven of those ten fastballs were over 100 miles per hour. In other words, DeGrom had otherworldly stuff, and this was what the Padres were going up against. The tone was set. 
Mets hitters were not going to be as patient as they were in Game 1. Blake, a 29-year-old left-hander. It's his eighth career postseason start. In the regular season, he went 8-10 and with a 3.38, but that does not tell the story of the entire season for Snell. Got off to a tough start, but really turned the corner July 1st. And uh, since then, he's been one of the best in baseball. Here's the 2-2. Nimmo lines it the other way. Manny can't make the catch. Deflects off his glove out into left field and a leadoff single. Machado nearly made a spectacular defensive play. Kind of leaped up off the one leg, and I do think he got some leather on it. But the ball goes off his glove into left field. Profar got it back quickly. Either way, Brandon Nimmo, a good battle at bat, and the leadoff man's aboard. Much like the Padres did in Game 1, the Mets were swinging in any count. Bob Melvin said they were able to get Max Scherzer out of rhythm. This was exactly what Blake Snell was facing. But Max Scherzer didn't have what Blake Snell had. Manny Machado at third base. First pitch on the way. Marte swings, grab ball to third. Manny backhands it to second one. Cronenworth's turn, plenty of time, and a double play. The pitcher's best friend in the world, the double play. Especially in a game of this magnitude, being able to keep the crowd out of it can be a factor. Double play is a quick way to do it. The easy 5-4-3 double play for Blake Snell. Blake Snell was on his way to blanking the Mets in the first. All he had to do was get through Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor will be the batter, a switch hitter to go right-handed against Blake. Lindor had not fared well at all against Blake Snell in his career. And 25 at-bats, Lindor only had three hits. But as we know, when you think you know something about baseball, you don't. Two outs, nobody on. Scoreless in the bottom of the first inning. Three and one. Here's the pitch. And Lindor swings. Hits it in the air to deep left field. Profar is going back at the wall. Looking. Going to go. Home run, Francisco Lindor. His first hit of the 2022 postseason. And the Mets take a 1-0 lead in the first. With the Mets leading 1-0 after one, Blake Snell was hoping for a quick inning because already his pitch count was an issue. If there was a recurring theme throughout the regular season, high pitch counts in the early innings would bite Snell. He had been more efficient as of late, but 29 pitches in the first inning was about 15 or so more than he wanted. The bottom of the second started much like the first. Two quick outs, then extended at-bats in a struggle to get the third out. Meanwhile, Jacob deGrom was cruising. Six up, six down through two innings, and with the bottom of the order coming up for the Padres, things were looking good for deGrom. In a playoff series, you need some breakout stars. The Padres would manifest their breakout stars in the form of the 7-8-9 hitters. In Game 1, the bottom of the lineup made up four hits and three extra base hits, including that huge Trent Grisham home run in the second inning. There is no way a guy who has had the struggles he has had all season long can do it again, right? Pitcher Corey Kluber. Here's the 2-1 to Grisham. Trent swings, hits it in the air, out to deep left center field. Nimmo racing back. He's onto the warning track. At the wall. It's going to go! Second consecutive night for Trent Grisham. He got Scherzer yesterday. He gets to Grom today. And it's a 1-1 game in the third inning. Oppo taco for Trent Grisham, who all of a sudden looks locked at the plate. You talk about two homers against two of the best. Scherzer last night, DeGrom tonight. This game is tied at one apiece. If you need further proof Grish was having a great postseason, look no further than this from Jesse Agler. That was Trent Grisham's first ever at bat against Jacob DeGrom. Oh boy, what a way to get the party started on the Padres end. 
Jacob deGrom was not his usual self the rest of the inning. He ended up seeing six batters, and although he didn't give up any more runs, he did throw 26 pitches. If the Padres had any chance of beating deGrom, they would need to get to the bullpen. They would also need to hit with runners in scoring position. When you get a chance against Jacob deGrom in the playoffs, you absolutely have to convert. And what would be a tough game at the plate for the Padres? Their woes started early. If we were talking about boxing, the Padres had just punched DeGrom and he was stumbling backwards. This is where you would want to go on the attack and take advantage of a dazed DeGrom. With two outs in the third, Jerks and Profar would work a walk, and Juan Soto would start heating up in the postseason. 1-0, and Soto swings, hammers it into the shift and beyond the shift, into right field for a base hit. Profar going to try and go first to third on Marte. He will. Throw gets away from DeGrom. Rattles around in front of the Padre dugout. And uh, the pitcher doing a great job getting over there to back it up. However, behind the play, Soto advances to second base. Marte Manny Machado would be the perfect guy to break it open. He's also the perfect guy for this situation. Any pitcher, no matter how good they are, is worried about one thing or another when pitching to Manny Machado. With the pressure of Profar on third and Soto at second, DeGrom locked in. Soto and Profar lead at second and third. The 2-2 to Machado swung on and missed. Got him to chase a high fastball at 100 miles an hour. Five strikeouts for DeGrom. However, Padres tie this game up on Trent Grisham's second home run in his many nights. Crisis averted for DeGrom and the Mets. Meanwhile, the Mets smelled blood in the water. Blake Snell would see four hitters and throw 22 pitches in the bottom of the third. No runs scored, but Snell was not as sharp as he had been late in the regular season. This would prove to be true in the bottom of the fourth. With the game still tied 1-1, and even though Snell was somehow staying in the game, the Mets knew they could chase him from the game with a good inning. Snell would do himself no favors by giving up a four-pitch leadoff walk to Eduardo Escobar. And he's working here in the fourth with a very high pitch count, as the 3-0 isn't even close. Fastball missing down and in. So now five walks for Blake, and this is the second consecutive inning. He has issued a leadoff walk. And so again, it, it really takes what is already a high pitch count and almost further elevates it because it's putting so much stress on every pitch. And things got no better as Snell would also walk the next hitter, Darren Ruff. And now the room for air was minimal at best. No outs. Runners at first and second, tie game in an elimination game. It has been meat grindery tonight. One and one. Snell battled back. Now two and two. The infielders are backed up a little bit, though Drury just in on the grass cutout. He's going to swing away and miss. It's strike three. Fifth strikeout for Snell, and most critically, the first out here in the bottom of the fourth inning. There was so much on the line in this one, and as Bob Melvin strolled out to talk with his lefty pitcher, would Bob Melvin give him a shot to get out of the inning? That'll be the case, and they are going to give Snell an opportunity to try and get out of this thing. Well, they got Nimmo, the, the lefty, coming up, so that probably allows for them to get him another batter here with the right-handed hitting Marte on deck. This decision may be the game. Padres fans felt it, but there was still hope Snellzilla would get it done. The order for Nimmo, two for two against Blake. First pitch on the way, and a line drive over Manny down the left field line. Profar backhands it, kind of falls down, gets away from him. Escobar rounding third, he was going to score no matter what. An RBI single for Brandon Nimmo, and the Mets are back in front. It's two to one. First pitch swinging for Nimmo, and that's going to end Blake Snell's night.
If you were a Padres fan, the air had been sucked out of the room. Bob Melvin was not about to let this get out of hand, and he emerged from the dugout to make a change. After the game, Bob Melvin was asked about Snell's struggles. Just throwing strikes. I mean, you know, what do you have? Six walks. Limited the damage for as much traffic as he had out there. But, um, you know, one of the few games we've seen here recently where he wasn't as proficient at throwing the ball over the plate. And here's what Blake Snell said after the game. Pretty frustrated with my release point on the fastball. I just couldn't find it for whatever reason. Uh the walks obviously uh, are pretty frustrating. Um, outside of that, though, um, happy with how I battled. Um, I didn't really have much tonight. Snell was only able to go three and a third innings, and now the goal was to try and navigate the rest of the game with the bullpen. Luckily, the Padres had a guy who had been incredibly reliable down the stretch. A guy that got ready for his appearances by drinking a whole lot of Red Bull. Nick Martinez. And when I say a whole lot of Red Bull, take it from him. I'm crushing them. They, these guys are all, all concerned about my heart, but uh, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right. Um, you know, Miami was a bit of a, being back home, uh, you know, I didn't get a whole, whole lot of sleep, so I had to uh, double down the caffeine and um, <laughs> had some extra Red Bull, some Cuban coffee, and um, yeah, I mean, that's probably why you saw, you know, back-to-back days for the first time, but still my Velo was still there. I was all jacked up on caffeine those, those few days. <laughs> this was the first season for Martinez with the Padres after taking a somewhat windy road to get to this moment. I think some can identify with his career path because even when you are a great pitcher, the path to the big leagues is not always a straight line to the top. After being drafted by the Texas Rangers in 2011, he spent three years in the minor leagues. In 2014, he was named the fifth starter for the Rangers, but he bounced back and forth from the bullpen to the rotation. After the 2017 season, Nick Martinez reached free agency for the first time in his career. Free agency did not go the way he wanted, and he saw limited interest from Major League teams. This limited interest caused him to go as far away from his hometown of Miami, Florida as possible. He decided to go across the Pacific to pitch for the highest level of baseball in Japan, Nippon Professional Baseball. He signed a one-year deal with the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters, but would ultimately spend a total of four seasons in Japan for two different teams. That's when A.J. Preller came calling and brought him back to the major leagues. A.J. Preller and Nick Martinez had history with the Texas Rangers, and everything made sense for the two to come together. During the regular season, Martinez was a jack-of-all-trades. He came to spring training trying to win a spot in the rotation, and he did. Things changed, however, during the regular season, and with circumstances making it necessary, Martinez accepted his new role as a high-leverage Swiss Army knife. He could pitch early in the game, the middle of the game, be the setup guy, the closer. He could pitch one inning or four innings if you needed him to. He quickly became a fan favorite because of the intensity he pitches with. He cheers his teammates like he's a fan, and his patented yell after a big out takes the home crowd from a cheer to a loud roar. Nick Martinez had endeared himself to the Padres faithful. Back to game two. Martinez took over for Snell and got two quick outs to mop up the bottom of the fourth. The Padres did thread the needle by only allowing one run while the Mets had runners on early and often in the fourth. The good thing about being down 2-1 to is the game is still within reach. The bad thing about facing Jacob deGrom in an elimination game is the score can feel like it's 10-1. to Not tonight, though. 
The Padres would punch DeGrom once again, and Jerickson Profar would continue his great series. Runner on second, one out. Two and two to Profar. Here's the pitch from DeGrom, and a hard hit, one hopper. Fair down the first baseline. Ricochets off the sidewall to be picked up by McNeil. He's got no play as Grisham comes in to score, and Profar ties it right back up. Two to two here in the fifth. The sack bunt works perfectly. Moves Grisham in the scoring position, and then the guy we just finished raving about in Jerickson Profar singles the right field. Grisham scores. The game was tied once again at two, and the Padres were showing the fight fans knew they had, but national media questioned. Profar leading, not running. The 2-0 to Soto ripped into right field. That's a fair ball down the line. Marte over to get it. He does. That'll hold Soto to a single, but Profar easily around to third base. Runners on the corners for Manny Machado. The Padres were one hit away from breaking this game wide open. With runners now at the corners, Manny Machado eyed another opportunity to drive in runs. DeGrom knew throwing a pitch Machado could hit was just not an option. DeGrom started the at-bat with two nasty sliders that Manny Machado swung through. He knew he absolutely had to strike Manny out. Here's the one and two. Manny swings and misses. Four consecutive sliders. Machado strikes out for the third time tonight. At six for DeGrom and two away in the top of the fifth inning. He's got Manny three times tonight. That slider is just nasty. With another golden opportunity dash, the Padres were now one for three with runners in scoring position. Next up, Josh Bell. Bell had certainly already put his name on this wildcard series, but he was now looking at a chance to do something really big. In the Big Apple, in October. Runners lead at first and third. This is a 2-2 game in the fifth inning. No balls and two strikes to Josh Bell. DeGrom delivers, Soto runs, and a swing and a miss. Got him to chase a fastball up and out of the zone. Back-to-back strikeouts for DeGrom, who limits the damage. The Padres, though, get a run on a couple of hits. They also leave men at the corners. The Padres were now one for four in the game with runners in scoring position. This game was tight. You could feel the tension with each pitch. Nick Martinez ran back out for the Padres, but he would face a very dangerous part of the Mets lineup. Pete Alonzo would lead off for the Mets, and he would make his move quick. To the fourth to start the fifth. Alonzo goes after the first pitch. It's at a mile to left field. Oh, my goodness. Forget about it. Way up and out. A home run for Pete Alonzo. His first career postseason home run. And just like that, the Mets are back in front. It's 3-2. to two. First pitch cutter. It's down, but it's in the middle. And Pete Alonzo, one of those big guys that handles the ball down well. Nick Martinez would bounce right back to get the next three Mets hitters out, but the damage was done and the Padres were going to have to try and tie it up as the number of chances were dwindling. The Padres had yet to chase Jacob DeGrom from the game, which means they were going to get a steady diet of sliders and fastballs. And that's exactly what happened. DeGrom had no problem going three up and three down and looked as if he was as much in control as he had been during any point of the night. Jacob DeGrom was done for the night after the top of the sixth inning, and he delivered on being that season-saving ace. He went six innings, giving up only two earned runs on five hits and struck out eight Padres on 99 pitches. Nick Martinez would continue to be effectively off in the bottom of the sixth inning. He was able to find the strike zone as easy as he was able to lose the strike zone, but all that really matters is getting outs, and that is what Nick Martinez did. 
There were only nine chances left for the Padres, and you could say it felt like less because the electric Mets closer Edwin Diaz was ready to go out after not pitching in Game 1. Normally, the Padres would not have to worry about Diaz until the end of the game, but this was an elimination game, and Buck Showalter was not taking any chances. He was going to send his best option out there, even if it was early. The trumpet sounded throughout City Field, and Diaz ran out of the bullpen to a standing ovation. Everyone in the stadium felt the energy. This wasn't a desperation move by any means. This was a move to ensure the Padres would not make a comeback in this game. Maybe a move Showalter would not even make if this was just any 8-9-1 part of the order. The bottom of the Padres' order was more dangerous than it's been all season long. This is the first time this season that Diaz has come on to throw before the eighth inning. I understand it's an elimination game. I understand the playoffs are different. But this is a rather serious deviation that Buck Showalter is making here, and we'll see how it goes. The move paid off for Buck Showalter in the short term. And I think it may be safe to say if he knew what was about to happen, he would have never used Diaz at all. In the bottom of the seventh, Bob Melvin decided to go with lefty Adrian Morejon, a young left-handed pitcher with a ton of promise. Morejon had no experience with this much pressure, but there always has to be a first time. And game two of the wildcard series was his. He did not have an easy task having to go through Lindor, Alonzo, and Mark Canna. Three and two to Lindor. A line drive to right field. Soto charging in towards the line. Not going to be able to get there. Has to play it on a hop. Leadoff single. Francisco Lindor, his second hit of the night. Opposite way, batting right-handed against Morejon. And now the Mets in business. Morejon was trying to find the strike zone but struggled against Pete Alonzo. And although he had not lost him yet, Alonzo wasn't going to bail Morejon out. That line about watching postseason baseball being like watching a family member trying to defuse a bomb, it applies here tonight. Three and two again. Here's the pitch from Morihon, and it is inside ball four, though Alonzo doesn't realize it. He's just standing at home plate. Here you go. Joe Walter is giving him a look like, really? Put his hands up. Like, come on. He got lost in that at bat. Fouled seven pitches off, six pitches off in that at bat. Clearly lost track of the count, but he does draw the walk. It was a 10-pitch battle, and now the Padre pitching coach Ruben Niebla going to go out and visit with More home. Probably also give him a break after that 10-pitch battle. Runners on first and second, nobody out, and the batter will be Mark Canna. And uh, again... The October air was crisp and full of electricity. With Halloween approaching, you could almost feel the scary movie being written right in front of our eyes. This will be the 10th pitch of the at-bat. On three and two, Canna takes low ball four. Back-to-back 10-pitch walks issued by Moray home. And the Mets have the bases loaded with nobody out. The feeling of dread, despair, anxiety, overwhelmed Padres fans watching. The lefty McNeil, it's likely Morty Holmes stays in this ball game. Nine walks on the night for the Padres. Canna at first, Alonzo at second, Lindor at third. Nobody out at the bottom of the seventh inning. Mets trying to add to a 3-2 lead against Adrian Morey Holmes, likely facing his last batter. 
Here's the 2-0 to McNeil. Morejon kicks and deals, and the pitch is lined through into right center field for a base hit. Lindor has scored. Alonzo coming in behind him. Soto kind of slides to stop it. Throw goes into second base. It's a two-run double and a 5-2 Met lead in the seventh. Morejon would exit after seeing four batters throwing 36 pitches and not recording an out. It's really tough to get big league hitters out with one pitch, especially a hitting champ. In the aftermath of Game 2, Padres fans and experts alike wanted to know why Bob Melvin stuck with Morihone in such a tight spot. Here's what he said post-game. No, we were comfortable with him. I mean, it was going to be, you're not going to get your matchup with Lindor, you know, switch hitting, and then we were going to take him through McNeil and then do something different, try to turn Escobar around. We just didn't throw strikes either. Ultimately, the decision to stick with Morihone did not work out for the Padres. On a night where pitching was not the Padres' strength, decisions and execution needed to be perfect. Here is Bomel elaborating on his thought process. Escobar was going to be the kind of deciding factor on where we went, but, you know... You know, Lindor bloops one in, gets a hit to right, and then two walks, and, you know, trying to get a lefty out, couldn't do it, so ended his day. But because of the fact that we didn't cover much with Blake, we were going to try to, you know, obviously try to extend Martinez as we did too, and we're going to try to potentially do that with more home. Melvin went to the bullpen, and he brought in reliever Pierce Johnson to try and get out of the jam that was runners on second and third with no outs. The game was teetering all the way in the wrong direction for the Padres, and it was in danger of nearly being over. Eduardo Escobar, the very next batter, was the actual tipping point for Game 2. Oh, and 2 as the Padres look for the first out of the inning. Here's the pitch from Johnson, and a curveball hit on the ground through the left side of base hit. Canna's on his way home from third. He will score. They stop McNeil at third base. As Profar's throw goes into second, an RBI single for Escobar, 6-2 Mets, and still nobody out in the seventh. A four-run deficit is going to be tough for any team through the regular season. In the playoffs, the deficit feels like it doubles. Daniel Vogelback would drive in a run via sacrifice fly, and that four-run deficit quickly went to a five-run deficit. As fast as the Mets scored four runs, the hopes for the Padres in Game 2 went away even faster. Pierce Johnson would end up getting out of the inning, but with the Game 7-2, things were not looking good. While the Mets' offense was taking care of business, Edwin Diaz would wait nearly 40 minutes in that half inning, and many were questioning why Showalter would continue with Diaz while they had a five-run lead. The move didn't necessarily backfire, but it did not go as he probably envisioned. Diaz would see three batters, but would be replaced by Adam Adovino to get the final out in the top of the eighth. Things were now in cruise control for the Mets. That was until the top of the ninth. Hope was restored to Padres fans after the 7-8-9 hitters would once again do their job and get on base. 3-2 to Grisham. Right-hander set and ready. He delivers, and Trent is hit on the foot. So the Padres will get a one-out base runner here in the top of the ninth inning. Thankfully, the shin guard caught all of that. The Padres needed a miracle in Game 2, and when you need a miracle, you need base runners. 
Grishon first and Austin Nola at the plate. Grisham runs. The 3-1 pitch is outside ball four. A hit by pitch and a walk. And the Padres have life here in the ninth inning. Now the top of the lineup will be coming to the plate in the form of Jerickson Profar. Jerickson Profar had been clutch in the first two games of this series. He hit a three-run homer to break game one open, and he eyed a comeback in game two. Uh, Look back at Grisham now. The pitch, Profar swings, hits it in the air to right center field. Pretty well struck. Nimmo going back. He is on the warning track, and he makes the catch. Now midway between the front of the track and the wall. That'll be out number two in the ninth inning. Grisham tags second to third. Runners on the corner. David Wright got in on his hands just a hair. And it's one out away from forcing a game three. You can see the Mets dugout pay a little closer attention to what was happening on the field. This wasn't just any 7-2 game. And Juan Soto was up. Two balls and two strikes to Juan Soto. Adovino is set, staring right at Grisham, who leads off third base. And the pitch to Soto is taken just off the plate outside. Count is full, three and two. With the count full, blood pressure was rising quickly on each side. Already a walk and a hit batter from Adovino here in the ninth. Three and two to Soto. Runners lead at second and third. Padres down five. Here's the pitch. And Juan takes down and in ball four. The Padres have the bases loaded for Manny Machado. Certainly now with one swing of the bat, Padres could bring this game within one. Manny worked the count full and everyone was on their feet. The count moves to 3-2, runners will be moving. They lead at all three stations. Adovino set. The 3-2 to Machado is a slider outside ball four. A bases loaded walk. Grisham will come in to score and it's 7-3 here in the ninth. And now the tying run will be coming to the plate with Josh Bell getting ready to bat. That may be it for Adovino. This is exactly what Buck Showalter didn't want to do. Buck Showalter was left with no other choice than to take Adovino out of the game. And the hometown crowd showed their displeasure. That'll be it. Adovino going to hear some boos as he walks back to the first base dugout. The Mets faithful went from being confident to anxious in an instant. Showalter would have to use one more pitcher as reliever Seth Lugo entered the game with the bases loaded and two outs. Josh Bell had the chance to be the hero for two straight nights if he was just able to connect with a pitch and tie up the game with a grand slam. Bases loaded, two outs. Padres down four, seven to three as Josh Bell gets into facing. Josh Bell would find himself in a one-two hole. Machado at first base. Soto at second, and a ground ball to first base. Backhanded by Alonzo, underhand flip to Lugo in time, and the ball game is over. The Mets survive, and we will play a deciding game three here at City Field tomorrow. What time that game is? This fantasy was not to be for the Padres on that Saturday night. Final totals for game two. The Mets scored seven runs on nine hits and had no errors. The Padres scored three runs on six hits and had no errors. Home runs for the Padres included Trent Grisham off Jacob deGrom in the third inning. Home runs for the Mets included Francisco Lindor in the first off Blake Snell and Pete Alonso in the fifth off Nick Martinez. 
Jacob DeGrom got the win, and Nick Martinez took the loss. The save went to the Mets' Seth Lugo. The Mets had survived this elimination game and would face the very same circumstances the next night. The Padres were going to get their dose of finality with an elimination game of their own. Enough to make any team tighten up just a bit, but the Padres knew they had hometown hero Joe Musgrove on the mound to make the biggest start of his career. He was the only one you wanted on the mound for this elimination game. Game three was to decide which team would continue their season and which team was going home. Twelve Games in October was written, produced, edited, voiced, and researched by me, Matt Scraby. If you want to reach me on social media, you can at Matt Scraby on Instagram and Twitter, M-A-T-T-S-K-R-A-B as in boy Y. I would like to thank Adam Klug and Michael Valenzuela for supporting me in this endeavor. Twelve Games in October is an Odyssey podcast from 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. Episode three of Twelve Games in October is going to be released on May 23rd. Just search the number 12 games in October in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.